Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 195 of Romenta Digital Thread Podcast Series. Today, we're pleased to host Luke Small, our newest strategy partner at Momenta. Luke has worked in the digital industry for over 20 years, applying strategic thinking to new go-to-market and business models. He has successfully spearheaded large multinational digital transformation projects for Fortune 100 companies before going out on his own to bring his expertise to others. Luke's passion is creating new business models across a range of verticals in both the discrete and process space using IoT edge sensors, big data, and advanced analytics. He advises global and early stage firms focusing on digital strategy, sales and marketing, and go-to-market, planning and leveraging his prior experience at GE Digital, Flashpoint, and his own form, Chakra. Luke, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Ken, amazing to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, Very happy to have you. And I guess I should say duly happy to have you in Momenta and happy to have you on this podcast. So uh, it's a (laughs) double pleasure, if you will. (laughs) So you no doubt have listened to some of our podcasts before. You'll know we call these the Digital Thread Podcast. And so the key question always to start this off is what would you consider to be your digital thread? In other words, the one or more thematic threads that define your digital industry journey. Yeah, I think when I look back at my career, the common thread that I see is really all around how do you extract value from technology in the industrial space? And what I mean by that, if if you go back to the start of my career, you know, I started programming PLCs, grew up with the traditional industrial automation stack. So went from programming PLCs to connecting PLCs to SCADA systems, to programming SCADA systems, to connecting to historians, from historians to MES, from MES to ERP. And as I was growing through the technology, I also grew my career and found myself in the position around 2015, 2016, when I was running professional services sales for North America for the industrial automation group at GE. And really overnight, my world blew up. Jeff Immel's vision when he was then the CEO of GE, his vision for what digital meant for GE really came into focus and he created the GE digital business unit. And my unit, My business unit at the time was rolled into GE Digital. And like I said, really overnight, my world blew up and all the technology, the tools and techniques I'd used for my career to deliver value to manufacturing customers changed. And it was very much industrial IoT or what GE called Predix, very much Predix or bust. So I really had to go back to first principles and try and figure out what does all this new technology mean to manufacturing companies, right? I was looking after all of the industrial automation projects we were doing in North America. I had customer responsibility for all those projects. So I quickly had to spend time down in San Ramon, down in our headquarters, the new GE Digital headquarters, and figure out, okay, come up with a hypothesis. What's the net new value that we can gain from industrial IoT in the industrial space? Came up with a hypothesis, made enough noise about that internally that they put me in front of Jeff Immelt a couple of times when he was still running GE. And I got to present out my vision for what industrial IoT meant to manufacturing. 
those meetings went well enough that Jeff sponsored myself and a team to start going after net new logos in the manufacturing space for GE's Predix platform. With Jeff's help with his sponsorship and relationships throughout a sales cycle, we landed Intel as one of the first net new logos for Predix. And I got to execute and run that account for about three years. And these are the years that everyone has read about in the media around GE's challenges, GE Digital's challenges, the challenges around Predix made that successful, made Intel successful to a point where we actually launched a joint go-to-market where we went after the semiconductor supply chain with Intel's help and GE's technology. So the reason I tell that story, and really those the lessons learned from that was what set me on a path to management consulting and have my own consulting firm and eventually joining Momenta. But the, the reason I tell that story is the technology can change we can introduce net new technology into manufacturing, into the industrial space. But how you think about value and how you think about looking after people and outcomes doesn't change. And if you can stay focused on that, that's really been my common thread for my career is staying focused on customers, customer value, value in industrial space. You can make the technology really work for you and work for your customers. It's a great story and it really establishes I think a platform of your own credibility, you've been truly full stack in terms of technology work you've done, but also that outcome focus, which GE was probably one of the first to really put the focus on outcomes, right? Even though that had always been, you know, how you value sell in the end. It's interesting because as much as people like to badmouth GE or did at the time, because obviously GE had its issues and everything else, it, every one of the industrial companies we work for still talks about GE Digital as the benchmark, right? Well, what did they do, right? They were the early leader in that, and everybody else, by definition, is fast followers. And so I'm curious, because you obviously spent a lot of time there, what would you say were the top three insights you gleaned from this time relative to digital industry? Yeah, it's such a good question. And it was such a challenging, but probably highly enjoyable time in my career. And I think you're right. A lot of people have had their opinions on GE, but fundamentally, corporate innovation is rock hard. Corporate innovation, what we now often call digital transformation at a scale of GE is rock hard. But some of the things that I saw done really well, so the one thing that they absolutely got right was setting a North Star early on. And I think this is critical for any digital transformation program. If you're going to go after digital transformation in a big way, you've got to set a very clear branded message around what you're going to go and achieve. There was no question, no matter where you worked in GE, what division, what group, where in GE Digital you sat, you knew that it was Predix and that was the focus for GE at the time. And that was a huge achievement for Immelt and his team to get that ingrained into the culture, a culture that was 100 years old. Um, absolutely ingrained into everyone in the company was laser focused on Predix. So that's, I think, one is absolutely set your North Star. Second, and we did this some places really well and some other places we were challenged to do this. But once you got your North Star, you've then got to break your strategy into small consumable parts. Start small, focus on product market fit. When you have product market fit, then scale with your customers and scale with the market. And I think there was an initiative internally at GE called FastWorks, where we took a lot of lean and agile thinking and applied it to an industrial setting. And that program, I feel, was highly successful. And this idea of starting small, being agile, iterating, learning as you go, very, very foreign to a product company like GE, but was adopted, especially inside of GE Digital, and I think highly successful. And then the last big lesson was it's all about people, right? If you think about 
this was around 2016 to 2019 when I was running Intel as an account and making them successful on Predix. This was the same time frame that the books have been written about, the articles have been written about, the Wall Street Journal has their, their opinion on it, Jeff Immel has his own opinion on it, lots of stuff out there about it, but there was no doubt it was challenging. And the reason we got through those challenges with a brand new platform, a brand new market, new outcomes, was because of the people. It was because of the relationships that we maintained between Intel and GE, because of the friendships that were formed and people that trusted us to deliver the outcomes we'd promised from day one. So if you're going to go do this and do it big, you've really got to start with the people. Those are uh, great learnings in there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think the CDO, uh, Tanya from Bosch, mentioned setting the North Star as well. This is one of the first things she's stepped into Bosch doing. I like the idea of consumable parts. I always th- like to think of it as like, think global, act local, grow organically, right? As right. you know, how do you build up those components? And the fact that you started from the beginning to reflect that this is a change management exercise, not a technology exercise. This is about transformation. Technology happens to be the catalyst, as it often is, which means it's a people exercise right from the beginning, right? And we tend to lose that sometimes when we talk about digital this and digital that and, you know, great learnings. Now, I know you founded your own advisory firm, Chakra, in 2019. Great name, by the way. <laughs> Thank and, you. Yeah, focused on helping manufacturing companies create, and I quote, a new way of thinking about digital and digital transformation. So tell us a little bit about some of your key learnings and accomplishments during this time. I could say downscaling what you learned from GE you know, on a more individual basis. Yeah, and it was a great time. We had grown the the Intel and the semiconductor go to market to a point where I was kind of felt like it was a capstone in my corporate career. So decided to step out, take the lessons learned from seeing kind of the good, the bad and the ugly digital transformation and apply those to our customers and our clients. So myself, and my co-founder launched Chakra. And very early on, we were fortunate enough to land one of the giant European OEMs, one of the largest European OEMs, And they wanted our help to navigate through what they were doing, which I would classify as digital transformation with a capital T. So they wanted to move one of their multi-billion dollar divisions from selling equipment today to selling equipment as a service tomorrow. So we really partnered with them out of the gate after launching Chakra. And the process or the approach we agreed with them was to take 25 people outside of their day jobs, outside of the organization that used to work for this large OEM, have them come report to myself and my co-founder and run like a startup inside the corporate environment. And we ran that for about two and a half years, successfully built a roadmap to go from selling equipment to selling equipment as a service, got them through the initial stages of that roadmap, gained some success. The, The famous quote from the VP that was responsible for the program, on the OEM side was that we went from a concept in the boardroom to a PO and orders flowing for this new business model in a year, which if you've done any sort of corporate innovation or big digital transformation, you know, a year is a very short space of time. And really it was the learnings we've talked about from GE applied to this mode of working that absolutely accelerated us to outcomes in a way that we've never seen before. So Really fun times. Like I said, I got to run that for about two and a half years, got some early traction about a year into it with this large OEM. So some of the big learnings, and it was interesting, like you said, to go from a huge $100 billion corporation to a two-person company and then try and drive digital transformation at scale. So what did we learn? So one of the big things we've talked about, it's about people, but it's more than that. It's also who are the people you're going to engage with. So what we found was that 
digital transformation, again, with a capital T, really happens in the market with your customers. It doesn't happen in PowerPoints. It doesn't happen in reports. It doesn't always happen in workshops. You've got to get in market. You've got to spend time with customers, and you've got to really learn what digital transformation means to them. And that's what you've got to capitalize on from your own internal perspective. You've got to get people out of their comfort zone. This was something, again, that North Star really helped with at GE. And we, we applied the same thinking when we took this OEM to market and drove their digital transformation, taking people out of their day jobs, out of their comfort zone, running them like we were a startup. So we had imagine a brand new startup with all the functions available to you. That's exactly what we built. And it was staffed with people from the corporate environment now working in completely new ways. And that proved very successful because we, they weren't limited by the way in which the organization had always run. And then again, we started small, right? We launched with a new business model using SCADA data shipped over email to a central data science team where we were able to use that data to predict remaining useful life. And that's what we took to market. So it was very small, very scrappy, but we focused on the go-to-market fit or product market fit and go-to-market, getting customers on board. And then we started to scale up. And that was really the big learnings from that. You know, it's interesting you said to do this in a year was quite an accomplishment. Recall that COVID-19 is the way we refer to COVID. And so you were doing this against the backdrop of progressively greater lockdowns, remote working, everything else that went. And so I'd say super spectacular in terms of what you accomplished given that backdrop. And remember the uncertainty during that time, right? None of us were sure what to expect or what this was going to be. So it sounds like you did quite a bit. I appreciate the bio you have on LinkedIn because it was some great talking materials. And so I'm going to come back to quoting again. So you offered there that, quote, manufacturing companies start out by investing in digital, but lose their way as they work toward identifying ROI and impact in pursuit of scalable solutions. Then you add, quote, digital offerings are not geared toward the needs of industrial companies and are not equipped to provide guidance on how these companies do and should operate, end quote, right? And you basically say, and Chakra is going to solve this. So can you say more about this perspective, particularly around these industrials? Yeah, for sure. And what I'm referring to there, when I wrote that, which was about 2019, was what I classify as the first wave of digital transformation for industrial companies. And that first wave really kicked off around 2015, 2016, when industrial companies suddenly started waking up to the high valuations being driven from platform-based technology companies. And a lot of big industrials lost their top spots in terms of valuation to these new platform businesses. And they were looking at some of these technology companies, the likes at the time of Uber or Airbnb, and a lot of very asset-intensive manufacturing companies or industrial companies were looking at these new technology companies, these new platform companies that didn't own the assets they used or didn't own the assets they serviced and were able to drive these sky-high valuations. That scared a lot of industrial companies and they set out on a, on a road of that first wave of digital transformation. And what they did, and I think this is where some of the mistakes were made along the way, was just try and emulate what they saw coming out of the valley, coming out of these platform-based companies, coming out of these IT companies, and the two secret ingredients, which I'm referring to in that bio, that were missing was deep domain expertise. You can't play in the industrial space, in the manufacturing space, without real deep domain expertise. And I think you saw a lot of companies make mistakes by hiring executives out of IT roles, out of IT companies, and put them into industrial companies without that domain expertise. And that just didn't work. Likewise, 
from an IT versus an operational technology or OT perspective, the technology itself needed the right manufacturing and industrial context. It needed to be hardened for the industrial space. And that was really lacking with the first wave of digital transformation. The good news, that was when I wrote that, it was around 2019. I think in the last three years, and COVID has, I think, accelerated this a little bit, we're now seeing this, what I call the second wave of digital transformation specific to industrials, where we're seeing, you're noticing CDOs are now being placed who've got deep domain expertise, for example. You're seeing technology come out that's been around since the first wave, but is coming into prime time now that it has that real operational technology or OT focus and has got the domain expertise baked in and it's industry hardened. So I'm pretty optimistic that in the last three years, we can really now start to capitalize on the second wave of digital transformation. That's a unique perspective. Yeah, I think you're one of the first I've ever heard refer to it in waves and to talk about as being in the second wave. Probably should have level set up front because one of the things I've noted is we're so loose in how we use the terms digitization, digitalization, and digital transformation. Help me understand how you view these three phases loosely applied to the impact of digital and industry, how you define them and differ them. What is the difference between them? Yeah, great question. It's fundamentally the reason I founded my own firm back in 2019 was the confusion in the market, the confusion with clients and customers around specifically digitization and digital transformation. So if we take an example, let's take a CNC machine or just a machine on the shop floor in a manufacturing plant. So digitization is sensorizing that equipment for the first time. So maybe you can't tell exactly what's happening on that piece of kit. Maybe you can't count the production cycle that's going through. So you put on a sensor, you connect that sensor to maybe an IoT gateway, or you connect it to a SCADA system if you're old school, and you can now visualize what's happening on that piece of equipment. So that's sort of digitization, that first sensorization of a piece of equipment. Digitalization, you start to make sense of these new sensors, this new data in context of the broader production situation. So the process itself, right? Digitalization is meant to be focused on the process. So maybe that sensor, which was counting for argument's sake, parts going through your machine, you now connect that to an OEE system and you're able to tell how effective your piece of equipment is in context of the overall production schedule and process that you're running. So that's digitalization. I think that's relatively new that we've gotten that refined on the difference between digitization and digitalization. I used to actually confuse those two terms, but just think about digitization is connecting something. Digitalization is making sense of it in, in context of a process. Where things get interesting is when you separate those two from digital transformation. And digital transformation for me has to be digital transformation with a capital T, where you're driving net new value that was not achievable before leveraging digital technology. And ideally, that value you're achieving is on the revenue creation side of your business, right? If you look at the history of digital transformation, the valuations I was talking about earlier, and why a lot of industrial companies are on this journey, you really got to be thinking about the revenue side of your business. You've got to be thinking about net new value, and you've got to be evolving your business to go after that. So that may mean maybe you've sensorized a piece of equipment, you've connected it to an industrial IoT gateway, you're pumping some data to the cloud, you're making sense of that data maybe from an efficiency perspective, from a predictive maintenance perspective. That's your digitization to digitalization journey. Your digital transformation journey, and this is what we did with that large European OEM I mentioned, is you leverage that data to transform your business model. So maybe you stop selling that piece of equipment 
in the future and you start selling machining as a service. And that's where that big capital T transformation comes in. I think the difference for me, and I really appreciate how succinct you were in terms of those definition differences, is you could say digitalization is evolutionary, right? The transformation element is revolutionary, thinking, like you say, as a service business model relative to a traditional CapEx OEM provider, right? That truly is transformational because it redefines how you do business, how you report revenue, everything in the company, right? Yet digital still is the catalyst for it. So I appreciate the difference there. And I think we mix it up too much, demeaning, if you will, what transformation really means and probably going too tech heavy on why digital is really important to even efficiencies that are in there, right? It's so true. Yeah, and actually, we built a maturity model at Chakra, and it showed the path from digitalization to digital transformation. And we very intentionally drew a chasm right after digitalization. A lot of clients I talked to were really in what we call the digital chasm. This idea that you were sold on the promise of digital transformation, but what you actually got was digitalization. And you're really lacking in the level of ROI that you're expecting. And you're sort of in this no man's land, this digital chasm. And we've spent a lot of time in my previous role helping clients crawl out of that and get back to either maybe realistic expectations on what digitalization can do to your business or reframe the execution side and focus on the big transformative outcomes. I like that idea of the digital chasm, of course, reminiscent of you know, kind of crossing the chasm, if you will, relative to general innovation. Let me ask, what are some of the best-in-class manufacturing companies you've seen applying digital in their operations and products? Yeah, so I think two that I've been reading about recently. So if we split that in half between sort of operations and products, an operations perspective, a company I've worked with over the years and I've always stayed close to is PepsiCo. I think they're doing a lot of things right in terms of their digital journey, in terms of digitalization, to a point where in a recent earnings call, their CEO called out in response to the supply chain challenges we're all living with, the inflationary challenges we're all living with, the general economic headwinds we're all dealing with, he called out their digitalization journey as one of the saving graces to fight against some of those headwinds. So I think they're doing a lot of things right, and I would keep a close eye on what they're doing from a digital perspective. On the product side, one of the companies I've always followed and a lot of respect for in terms of their digital journey has been John Deere. I don't know if you saw, they recently won two CES awards, so two consumer electronics awards for their autonomous tractor initiatives. So I I think it's impressive if you're going to be an industrial company and you're going to play in the robotics, connected product, smart product space, the autonomous space, and you're competing against some of these consumer players that you can beat them out and win these awards, I think is super impressive. And what I like about John Deere and their strategy is they also think about service. So it's not just connected assets for the sake of it. They also offer an enhanced service portfolio based on having these autonomous connected assets. I have a background in Syngenta, of course, so ag tech. One of the earliest conversations I remember with John Deere at the time was, and mind you, this is probably 12 years ago, was that they saw the tractor as a mobile data hub, I think is what they called it at the time collecting, of course, all the agriculture information, but also serving as a point to make decisions like when to apply pesticides or plant a seed and or some form of prescriptive, if you will, analytics. And again, 12 years ago, right? So I'd say they clearly deserve it. Also, as a former Coke guy, I can appreciate 
Pepsi under especially some of its enlightened leadership, how much they've really taken on a lot of this. And a lot of it is because they're multi-category, right? Not just beverages, but snacks and direct store delivery. So, you know, the granularity of what they do and the number of times they do it daily really allows them to gradually improve, but show big results over time. So two great examples there. I'm curious, though, how do you know when an organization is ready to adopt digital manufacturing techniques? And perhaps what practices have you seen in realizing that potential value? And before you answer, another way to think about this is, would you ever walk away from a potential customer coming to you and saying, we want to apply digital? What is that criteria you're looking for? Yeah, it's funny you ask. I was talking recently to somebody about this, and it's, would you have said no to that large, that giant European OEM when we landed them early on at Chakra? And I was so passionate about the difference between digitalization and digital transformation. The question was, if they were just focused on digitalization, would you have said no? And I think a two-person company heading into COVID probably wouldn't have said no. Touche. But (laughs) yeah, but I think there was some customers that we worked with over the years, and we did feel like they were probably too focused on, especially digitalization inside the four walls of the plant. That was not really the world we were playing in. But from a readiness perspective, the way I always approached companies and approach strategy from a digital readiness perspective was under four headings. And we had kind of a term for that. We call it the four Ds at Chakra. And the four Ds were demand, domain expertise, data, and data science. So demand, two sides to the demand equation. Is there internal demand for it? Do you have C-suite sponsorship to go do something interesting from a digital perspective? Likewise, are there customers interested? You don't have to have product market fit yet or anything like it, but is there customers that will sponsor you, that will co-create with you, that will help you get into market, partner together and figure out what's going on? So that's the demand that you've got to have some kind of demand. Domain expertise, I touched on this earlier. You've got to have the right domain experts on the team. I think that first wave of digital transformation, there was a real lack of domain expertise. So it's something that I always look for in terms of readiness from a client perspective. Data. Again, I touched on this a little bit earlier. You don't need big data to go transform your company. You can do it with legacy data, with small data, with some, I've seen process engineers who've taught themselves Python and taught themselves MATLAB and are using SCADA data to drive really meaningful outcomes. But you've got to have some kind of data to start with, but don't delay until you've got a huge big data architecture. Likewise, data science. So data science to me is not a degree or qualification. You don't need to spend a million dollars in salary to go hire a Stanford PhD. What you need is finding those right people, like the process engineer I mentioned that's taught themselves MATLAB or Python. You gotta find the right mindset inside of your organization to think about how you leverage data to problem solve. And if you can find those four ingredients inside an organization, or you can piece them together with the help of an organization, you're in great shape to start your own digital transformation. I like the way you've broken that up. So demand, domain expertise, data, and data science. Let me ask you to put your prognosticator hat on for a minute. Where do you see the greatest opportunity areas? And let me call this generally industry four, or often we're referring to it as industry five in terms of that digital transformation of manufacturing as we know it. Where do you see the greatest opportunities there in the next five years? Yeah, so I go back and forward on these terms. The tongue-in-cheek I always use is that only engineers would try and define a revolution before it's happened. But all that said, <laughs> I think they are really important terms, and I think there is important differences between 4.0 and 5.0. But not to get into a discussion about that, I think as a general school of thought, the big areas where I see the greatest opportunity around these 
4.0 and 5.0 initiatives are probably three areas. So one, it's data. I think, again, I grew up, like you said, with kind of a full stack, what we would call the ISA 95 or S95 stack, right? PLCs, SCADA systems, historians, MESs, et cetera, et cetera. And how we moved data and how we thought about data context through those layers has become quite traditional. And I think I look at data companies, I'm thinking about Highbyte as a good example, that are really challenging that paradigm and letting you insert yourself wherever you need to in the traditional industrial automation stack, extract data, provided context and make sense of that data and move from a very linear way of thinking about moving data inside the four walls of a plant or inside a connected asset strategy and move it to a much less linear model, a more circular way of thinking. I think that's going to prove highly valuable in the next five years. So I'm excited about that. The key ingredient, the big change that happens from 4.0 to 5.0 is people are absolutely the focus. And I think that may have been a miss of that first wave of digital transformation that I mentioned, which I would akin to really industry 4.0, is we've got to focus on the people. This stuff happens thanks to people because of relationships, because of friendships you can make, because of partnerships you can make, because of ecosystems you can build. And that's all people focused. So that's, that's I think, going to be a huge benefit of focusing on 5.0. And then the last piece, and this is a passion of mine, is the circular economy. The reason I love the circular economy is it aligns so well to what I think about in terms of digital transformation with a capital T. And 5.0, as we shift from 4.0 to 5.0, we focus on people, we focus on new business models, new ways of people interacting and exchanging value. It's going to enable things like the circular economy that requires us to change how we think about asset ownership in an industrial supply chain sense. I think that's going to be pretty interesting for the future of both 4.0, but more importantly, this shift to 5.0. Yeah, well said, especially the one in circular economy. The very definition of ownership under kind of the uberization of all industry, if you want to think about it that way, has been brought up by several of our speakers over time and really coming out of, I believe, the World Economic Forum, if I remember right, several years ago, co-authored by McKinsey, put together kind of what is that whole future of industrial and circular economy is a very key part of that and often not talked about enough and unless there's kind of an ESG angle, which makes it a little bit of a popular buzzword. But ownership is really what is key in that. So as a service, if you will, moving from products to as a service in time, kind of bringing it home a little bit. You know, we're obviously very proud to have you as part of Momenta. So thank you for joining us. Can you talk a little bit about your remit and focus at Momenta? Yeah, sure. And, and so good to be joining the team. I'm excited to get going. I think that the two big focus areas will be digital transformation with a capital T and then value for manufacturers. So what do I mean by that? So digital transformation with a capital T, really my specialization for the last four or five years has been moving companies to these large scale digital transformations from a business model perspective. So how do you think about serviceization? How do you think about even something as simple as rather than selling a predictive maintenance app after you've been able to do something like predict remaining useful life on a piece of machinery, rather than sell the app as an industrial company, which is rock hard to do, by the way, um, you might use the intelligence from that app to offer an enhanced service contract. So that way of thinking, that serviceization of outcomes of businesses will be one focus area. Another focus area, and this is really back to my digital thread, if I think back to my career, most of the time I've spent has been figuring out what technology means inside manufacturing, inside industrial companies from a value perspective. So if you've got a, a smart 
interconnected asset play. If you're trying to get into a market, if you're trying to penetrate manufacturing companies with a net new connected product, the help I'll be able to provide is making sense of that technology from a manufacturer's perspective, and then having a go-to-market strategy that aligns to that. As said again, it's very exciting to have you as part of the team, especially our advisory team. And these are all core areas to that. Plus, they undergird a lot of our venture capital activities as well. So looking forward to greater things to come here very soon. In closing, I always like to ask about your own personal inspiration. Where do you find your personal inspiration? Yeah, so I think I always try and keep a fiction and nonfiction book on the go. My current nonfiction book is The Titanium Economy. It's written by a couple of practitioners, I think out of McKinsey. And this is, they have found a list of manufacturing companies in the US that have outperformed the big tech stocks over the last 10 years. They do a deep dive into what makes these companies unique. So highly recommend The Titanium Economy as some reading material. In terms of general activity and how I keep up to speed with everything that's going on in the market, I spend a ton of time on LinkedIn. So I'm pretty active in terms of in posts out there, but more importantly, active in the community. So trying to comment on people's posts, share articles, post ideas and get feedback. So if anyone's looking to get in touch or to, to see what I'm up to, LinkedIn is a great place to go find me. And that's probably, I mean, I think from a people perspective, then I think I follow a lot of great thought leaders. That phrase is <laughs> always a struggle, but thought leaders on, on LinkedIn, and, and someone I highly recommend everybody go and follow just for his unique and quite skeptical perspective on technology, and especially technology in our space, is Rick Ballotta. Rick keeps me extremely honest in my posts and is well able to call BS if I post anything a little bit hyperbolic. <laughs> I will second your thought on Rick Ballotta. I mean, he is one of the few I would truly consider to be a thought leader. I think people lose thought leadership the minute they put on their subtitle in LinkedIn, thought leader, right? <laughs> yeah. Rick yeah. delivers. Rick's very fact-based. And like you say, he doesn't believe the BS a lot of times out there. So he's got a unique ability to carve through that relatively quick. So yeah, kudos on that recommendation. And I will have to read the Titanium Economy. That sounds great. It sounds like the modern manufacturer equivalent of good to great in terms of that. So, well, Luke, thank you for sharing this time and insights with us today. Appreciate the time. This has been great. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, as well, as well. So this has been Luke Small, our newest strategy partner at Momenta, but obviously a long-term practitioner, full stack, like the ISA 95. It's been a long time since I've heard that. So thank you for listening, and please join us for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archive versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.